Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus from Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give all the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast two free things, Sean. Not just one, but two. Ready? Ready? Are you ready? Can you handle this? One is you get one glove for your right hand and one glove for your left hand. Bam. Two free things. Wow. Some people call that a pair. I call it two free things. So if you're interested in getting that uh, right-hand glove and the left-hand glove at the same time, send a market, an email to marketing at axontire.com, and they will send over a free pair of Axon deer skin gloves to help make your hands buttery soft year-round. So check that out. Also, they're doing a cool thing, too, with the Moving Iron Summit this year. The first 150 people that sign up for the Moving Iron Summit, they get $50 off courtesy of Axon Tire. So check that out. Valley Transportation is hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he is absolutely cool enough to come on couple of times a week to talk about what's happened in the marketplace. So Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Always glad to be uh, talking ag on Thursday mornings with you. So. Uh, that's what's my favorite day of the week to talk about agriculture. I'm not going to lie to you. Probably even a little better than Tuesdays, just because you're, you know, you're closer to the end of that week, more things have happened. For China's, sure. China's going nuts. Such things are just out of control. You know, um, China is encouraging farmers to sell more hogs. So now you've got a super tight situation over there right now as far as the hog market goes 
And this is the third article this week I've read about China encouraging and really jumping up and down to sell more hogs. If it's as tight as it's supposed to be, Sean, why would they want to sell so many hogs? They don't have the hogs to sell. They went to a mass herd. Like we've been talking about this for yeah. for months now. That you know they right. they had this mass liquidation. They lost a mm-hmm. ton of money. They're finally profitable again. Uh, you know, but they're not going to grow the herd, and they're not going to be aggressively, you know, doing anything other than trying to repair the balance sheets that were just blown apart over the past six to nine months when they were losing you know billions and billions of dollars. So yeah, you know, once again, it seems like governments are trying to. Um, just find supply out of thin air thinking that they can just print food and it doesn't work that way. You actually have to provide an economic incentive over an extended period of time to do it. You just can't paper over some food supply problems by just saying, come on farmers, you got to sell some more. Mm -hmm. It just just doesn't work that way. And, and um, we're seeing it here in the U S you know, uh, come on, oil producers, produce more oil, just do it. Mm -hmm. Well, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> we were doing that once and then you said we couldn't now and you, you want said to you know so, and, yeah. and and so it's just not how you uh manage resources of the of, of energy and food you you just have to it's big money big capital big investment and you have to provide the long-term confidence and in, in, in incentives to do it and quite frankly in the last few years we've done everything but that so until we do you know, supplies are going to continue to be uh, not what the governments want, and they're going to continue to try to, you know, go through these short-term makeshift uh, um, policies that they they, they they think can work in the short run, but it's not going to do anything but make things worse in the long run. Um, so China's a classic example. Just sell more hogs. Well, great. Not going to happen. So. So I always say just make more money. And you're and you're rich, you know what I mean. So it's it's, it's that simple, Sean. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, simple. I mean, and, and one of our theses is, as you know, is that they're going to start coming for U.S. pork because they really don't sure. have an alternative. And last week, we saw Chinese imports of U.S. pork triple. It's the first time we've seen a Geiger counter move like that. So it looks to me, and of course, the hog market is up ten points here in the last uh, several weeks. So you know, things are starting to get interesting on the hog front it's been something we've been mentioning and talking about to be on the lookout for as we got you know closer to this uh, fourth quarter and end of the year and things seem to be uh happening in the way that we've been suggesting casey so yep yeah all right so now this is going to come to a big shock to everybody listening to this right now and you're gonna everyone's gonna be like i can't i can't believe this casey but russia is contemplating whether or not they're going to continue to let ukraine ship agriculture products out of the black sea and i know that's shocking no i know everyone's like oh, the big gasp in the crowd right there but do you think like looking at that story sean and how that all has been playing out here of late is a lot of that baked in the market right now or you know at the end of november here when they say yep you know we're not going to renew that that uh that deal that they could see a a big jump of uncertainty in the uh in the marketplace or do you feel like that's kind of already baked in for some reason the market thinks they're going to extend the deal um, I don't know why they would think that. I don't, just uh, strategically, that makes no sense. But I, I could be wrong. You know, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of meetings that go on behind the scenes. I know uh, right. they were with Erdogan and they're working out something with uh, setting up a natural gas hub. And I don't know. There's more to it than we're being told behind the scenes of why they would or wouldn't. Um, 
But <clears throat> I certainly would be careful about being too bearish as we approach uh, this expiration. I'm just not sure. It, you know what? It may ultimately be renewed, but it may there may be a, some kind of a delay. Gotcha. Um, it's kind of like uh, when you go on strike, you know, you, you actually go on strike, a, you know, and you really put the pressure on to, to negotiate, and, and then you come back on a few weeks later. I almost feel like they're going to do that. They're going to say, no, we're not going to do it. And then everyone's going to be squirming and everyone's going to be going up in arms. And, and somehow they might be able to, in that environment, cut whatever deal they're looking for or something closer to what they're looking for. Um, and it, that could set a, a wild, um, obviously, volatile trade in the wheat market for sure. So right. I just don't think I'd want to be uh, bearish or heavily short. And if I'm a physical buyer of wheat, Casey, I just think I'd make sure I had myself you know, buttoned up um going into that time for me in case we put a dollar or two onto the market for whatever reason. Yeah. That I just I've read that article. This is about the third one I've read this week about similar topics around that. And it's, it's just I don't know, Russia just more or less saying like kind of what you're saying, like, no, we're not we're not probably gonna do this again. And I haven't said no, we're not gonna do it, but it's been like the likelihood of us doing this is pretty slim type of thing. So I'm surprised they did the deal in the first place, quite frankly. Yeah, like, given, me too. given what's going on. I, I'm still shocked that they let so much grain. Uh I'm 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 thankful they did it. Uh, but I'm just I'm just surprised they did it in the first place. So who knows? You know, uh Trying to predict those kind of things are difficult. All I'm trying to say is I just don't think it's going to be settled at the expiration of the current deal. I do think they're going to play hardball, which is what you're supposed to do in negotiations is really put this, the pressure on. Um, I don't can't think of a better way to put pressure on than to say the deal is not going to be extended and have a, a week or two where the market really sweats it out as we go into the winter months and that sort of thing, it just seems to me like that would be a logical posture for them to take, you know? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about it. Cause energy has been on. I'll tell you what I've, uh, of all the times I've been reading articles for this podcast in the last two weeks, I've never read more articles about energy, this energy shortage, there, energy, the energy, energy, energy everywhere. So you got, the Biden Biden can or Biden campaign. The Biden administration is uh, um, still sucking oil out of the strategic uh, petroleum reserves as fast as they can, um, and they're actually buying it now under the market, right? So the market's whatever it is right now, eighty bucks or whatever, roughly right around there, eighty three bucks, right around there, and the floor is seventy dollars a barrel right now. So there, there's some discrepancy there, but when you look at that situation there, then you've got the European Union, which we talked about last time, European natural gas, those kind of things. But now they're going to get together and talk about, hey, we're all going to collectively buy natural gas and we're not going to undercut or overbid, you know, to to make sure that, you know, Germany gets more natural gas than France does or something like that. So um, then you couple that with what we got going on in the U.S. I mean, it's just, it it is an absolute... It, I mean, soap opera sorts in some cases about what this energy situation looks like right now. I guess, Sean, as you're looking at guys that are, you know, the guys you work with, and here we are in that time of the year where prepaying for inputs and those kind of things are kind of start coming into play. When's the right time to, to prepay for what you got? 
I mean, there's just so many moving moving parts. It almost feels like you almost need to wait till the day you need it to make sure that to pay that price in because who knows if this right now or what it's going to be in the future and all those kind of things. So I guess as you're looking at the energy situation, Sean, and inputs, what, what's your thought there and, and how are you thinking about that? Well, it's the same that we just said before. Governments are trying to do things to solve problems without actually providing the incentives for more production. I mean, the, the way you solve the crude oil problem is not to dump SPR onto the market. The way you get, you know, uh, more crude oil to be produced, you you create incentives, you let the price stay high, you 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 know make you know you make uh, oil leases available again, you promote pipelines, you know you you do everything you can to get those infrastructure investments going so that the supply builds and grows. Um, what the heck is dumping this SPR going to going to do in the long run? It's going to do absolutely nothing, nothing, except keep the pr- the price artificially low disincentivize those investments um, and deplete the strategic reserve in case there's a point where he actually really would have wanted it. Right. Um, So I, you know, I, we know you can't run SPR down forever. At some point they have to stop. What happens after they stop already because the refineries are down the capacity for refinery is down so much over the last three years because of lack of incentives. Um, you know, our diesel supplies are at the lowest levels as we've been recording them since 1954 in terms of U.S. Uh, diesel heating oil inventories are at the lowest level since 1954. Well, you know, what happens, you know, <laughs> what happens there? You know, diesel is right. like the driver of the U.S. economy, trucking and farm equipment and you know i mean without diesel you really have a hard time moving anything anywhere and we're running those supplies down because we don't have enough refining capacity well i hate to tell everybody but if you don't have enough refining capacity you're not going to produce any more diesel until you do so i don't know what the plan is but the plan should be finding a way to increase refinery capacity as quickly as possible um instead what they're talking about Let's dump some more SPR. And if we have to, maybe we will, um, you know, halt exports. Like we we sell a lot of diesel to Europe and other places. And so we're just going to stop exporting LNG. We're going to stop exporting diesel. No doubt that would help short term, Casey, bring prices down. But if you bring prices down, what do you do? You're also kicking the can down the road. You're not making those investments. You're not increasing that production. And at some point you make the situation that much worse the real issue is we don't have enough energy we need more and you can't solve a supply problem uh with these makeshift operations that that, uh, and decisions that we're seeing not only here but elsewhere in the world you know in europe capping the price that you pay you know what is that going to do well that doesn't help produce more oil that just as a short-term fix you know you have to have a long-term solution um I don't know. It's just, it's just the governments don't know what to do. They haven't thought this out. They're panicking and they're actually making things worse. So I didn't know governments when they did that. I thought they made everything <laughs> better. That's what I that's what I've been told. All right. It's yeah, it's a mess. It's, it's a mess. All right. Talk about so let's talk a little bit about what we see happening with exports right now. So we have it's Thursday morning, so export report come out this week. 
or today. And I guess looking at, at the overall exports, um, everything seems to be kind of right on pace for what, what they would expect to see happen. Sean, when you look at where we're at with stocks and where we see, you know, you know, Argentina's cut their week forecast again, you've talked about extreme drought down there for quite a while now. So I guess as you're looking at, at the overall exports saying what we see leaving the country, Sean, any big surprises there with that, or do you expect to see that to ramp up at all? Well, I, what I, 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 the real issue is how much can we export yeah. with, the, with the river shut down right now? Right. You know, I know they're trying to dredge it and trying to get things going again, but I mean, how much can we actually ship? How much can we actually move if we don't have the barge traffic going down the river like we're supposed to? I mean, obviously it's going to limit exports, whether we want, we may want to sell all this stuff and people may want to buy it, but if we can't get it out, then it's going to limit, you know, I would focus more on shipments than the right. actual exports. We can put all kinds of exports on the books all we want. The question is how much can we, are we actually getting the physical supplies shipped out of the country? I think those numbers are going to be disappointing. Um, so long as this um, situation with uh, the river is what it is. And then, you know, we keep hearing there might be another strike. Because this one out, this one um, union with their with the rails did not agree with the agreement that everybody seemed to have before, and that if we get to mid November, we may go on strike again. And then, I don't know, Casey. It's just uh, I'm not. I just don't think the shipments are going to be able to deliver on current USDA expectations based upon what I'm seeing, and that means that the numbers are going to have to come down at some point. And future USD reports, which means that the ending stocks numbers are going to be raised and the supply tightness is going to be easing a little bit based upon those factors. The other factor, and I've been, we've been saying this for quite some time, with the herd liquidation of animals here, the herd liquidation that occurred in the past year in Europe, and of course, we just talked about the significant herd liquidation in China, You know, feed demand is not going to be very good at all. Um, at least for the next six months before maybe, you know, we might see some some thought about, you know, starting to rebuild the herd if, if, if profits continue to, to improve. So I look at that outlook on the demand side and, you know, unless you really got a major weather problem in Brazil, I know, I know Argentina's not so good and, you know, their crop could be off a little, but I think if Brazil just hits the cover off the ball with, with big corn and big soybean crops, Against this kind of a demand situation, I just don't think the prices that we've been, that we've seen in the May high and the recent highs we've seen here, Casey, in the last thirty days, I don't really see that we can take you know go significantly above those levels without a major weather weather problem in Brazil that we are not expecting to see right now based upon our weather outlook. So, right on. Okay, <clears throat> man, a lot of moving parts right now. All right, as you look at um, cattle, one more time, we'll talk about the cattle market here just real quick. Looking at the cattle marketplace, um, cash cattle prices have been really on a tear this week. They've done they've done some really good moves here of late, um, even better than what they've you know what we've seen over the last you know month here. We've really seen some good cash cattle prices, but this last two weeks have been pretty you know really really good gains there. So Sean, looking at that cattle marketplace, we still see that herd liquidation. We still see the number of, of cows coming through, um, getting. Uh, getting ran through uh you know you look every every week there's a a few more that went through um through the slaughters and everything else so i guess sean as you're looking at that what are your thoughts there and, and when do you see some of this slowing down a little bit well we had a big setback in cattle um 
And then now we're having a, you know, kind of a rebound rally off of yeah. that correction. You know, we have some holiday demand coming in as expensive as beef is. There still is a demand base that doesn't go away. And I also think this pork shortage in China is spooking um, the meat protein market a little bit. Because, you know, it, you know if, if they're really that short of pork, um, you know, then they're going to be looking for beef protein. They're going to be looking for chicken protein. They're going to be looking for fish protein. They're going to be looking for milk powder protein. I mean, they're going to be looking for protein. And I think that kind of shifted because everyone's been focused on the potential for weaker U.S. and global demand, which is happening. But the Chinese demand is really not economically driven, Casey. It's sort of the government just buying with money that they have to have enough protein on hand to keep their people fed, especially as they go into these important new year holidays that come up in January and February, you know, that's not really a, a decision based upon the economy. That's a decision based upon food security. And I think that's brought some optimism into, you know, the, the livestock markets. Cause remember, you know, the hog market caved in a few, if, you know, a few weeks back. I mean, it absolutely collapsed. And now it's rallying back. And then we had a big correction in cattle. Now it's rallying back. And it's all really starting to stem from, as you've said, these reports that are continue to come out about how desperate they are to try to keep you know this pork price down and try to keep this hog price down. And they, you know, these are these are actions by you know that are pretty desperate, quite frankly. So I think that's brought change the sentiment to where maybe the market is dialing in a little bit of a better demand situation, at least from China, that could override some of these economic weakness fears that have been. Were the, were the basis for these corrections up to this point. And I happen to agree, you know, that that, uh, that is the case. And what's one of the reasons why the hog market specifically, we're pretty friendly to it towards it. Cattle market, I still think, you know, it doesn't, it, it still is not as driven by Chinese demand as the pork side of the business is. But um, I think we could struggle a little bit more on the cattle side, but on the, on the hog side and the pork side, you know, I, I think it looks pretty good going into the end of the year. So. Okay. Last topic, Sean, you talked about this as Hurricane Ian went through um, Florida there. You saw a huge jump in uh, the price of orange juice. Talk a little bit about what you see happen with orange juice post-hurricane here. Well, we had the, the initial assessment, and then you have the assessment of the assessment, and then you have the assessment of the assessment of the assessment. <laughs> so we're at that phase now where everyone is assessing what they already assessed to see if what they assessed was correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, there was a report that said that, you know, that, that the final assessment, you know, might be on the higher side of the range of expectations that was out there. And so it's, it, and remember the November contract is, is, is coming up to expiration here, Casey. Um, if you look at big peaks in OJ in the past, They've liked to top out as you approach expiration of the November contract. You go back last 30 years and you look at, you know, when did prices peak out or spike trade, especially on a weather problem. You know, they've liked to do it leading into the expiration of the November contract and then, and then they turn down thereafter. So as an example, you know, yesterday, November was up, but January was down. So I think we might be developing some kind of a supply squeeze going into the expiration of the November contract. I think once that phase is over, which it will be over the next few weeks. You know, I, I think that, you know, the bigger picture is long-term damage to the trees was not done. It was mostly uh, fruit drop. 
Um, and a lot of supplies are going to start coming in from Brazil who have substantial increase in production. And, and of course, demand is declining as of the last four weeks from Nielsen numbers, you know, orange juice demand is down in excess of 10% year over year. You know, that's a pretty big number, Casey. So mm -hmm. that's going to start to really uh, feed into uh, balancing this market off a little bit. So I guess what I'm getting at is we could still see some fireworks for the next few weeks, as you sometimes see, as you get near the end of a deliverable contract like November is. But I think after that, I think we'll have priced all that in. And then we start looking at, you know, increasing the availability of supply against demand. Right on. Okay. Sean, good stuff as usual, man. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you got going on over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there about how we do things, how we make our forecast to see if that kind of information would be of some value to your listeners. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast, bud. Thanks, Casey. Keep up your great work as always. Thank you, man. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure to check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. We can see the video version of this very podcast here. If you're interested in doing that, uh, check that out. Hit Sean up. Check out his website. He's got a lot of cool stuff out there to see. And if you like uh, what you see here at the Moving Iron Podcast, uh, follow me and like me on uh, whatever whatever podcast channel you got and uh like me on uh follow me on my youtube channel too that'd be great help get other people to see it as well so uh moving iron summit coming up here in nashville tennessee next september you know so we got quite a while yet but september uh 11th through the 13th and at uh downtown hilton there all the information will be up here directly <clears throat> directly here on the movingironllc.com website. So check that out. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go with my folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work 